Story 4. Catching Up Almost all of the villagers had turned back. For some of them, the warmer weather was too much to handle. Snow and ice were all they had ever known. Almost a third of the villagers had come down with a cold. For others, the strange animals that blended into the tall pillars that were trees acted as deterrents. They weren't all dangerous, but no one was really willing to risk finding out which ones weren't going to eat or maim them. And after the dragon raid on the hunting group, Bari couldn't blame them. Finding food was an entirely different conundrum. Occasionally, they found a stray yorback, but those weren't the best sources of nutrients. The plants were like nothing they had ever seen. Instead of the dense tubers that had to be sawed out of the ground under layers of snow, there were leafy, wide, and towering plants that covered entire landscapes. One villager had attempted to find out if one particularly bulbous plant was edible, only to have it rupture and cover him in a sap that attracted a particularly large furry beast with claws longer and sharper than knives. When all was said and done, the villagers decided that the world was not for them. Jas Isaacs, one of the quieter yet more aggressive members of the group, had stood up and walked away from the campsite after Vare had told them that they would all be marching further south that day. And he was not alone. Half of the remaining villagers had left with him that day. The following evening, even more left. Two disappeared one night. Another had been dragged into a tree by a swarm of tiny winged creatures. The rest had left after that. The only one who had stayed was a girl named Kyra. Most people called her Kai. Her short hair stuck straight up and was just as pale as she was. From a distance, she could have been mistaken for an icicle. Maybe that was why she was such a good hunter back home. Vare had initially been disappointed after being abandoned by the rest of the village. No one, it seemed, cared about bringing Pana to justice. Everyone was willing to let them go. Everyone, that was, except for Vare. And, it seemed, Kai. But maybe that was better. They could move faster this way. The remaining two were dedicated to their task, and now they wouldn't have to be distracted by anyone else. I never would consider giving up, explained Kai, when Vare had thanked her for staying. They were cooking the remainder of their rations over a fire. Tomorrow, they'd have to go foraging and replenish their supply of food. My father was part of the hunting group that Pana had gone on. He always thought they were a good kid, even if they were quiet and strange. He never would have expected them to release a swarm of dragons. They killed him. But you were there. You actually saw what happened. It never was easy to talk about the events of that particular hunt, even a year later. Vare simply said, Yeah, I was there, and stared intently at the meat roasting on the spit she had built. Do you know how they even managed to release the dragons? I bet they could talk to those beasts, just like in those stories that our parents used to tell us about the villager who was abandoned as a child and grew up out on the ice. Somehow, it survived, 
and began preying on the village. Maybe Pana isn't as human as we think. Maybe they're actually part dragon. That would explain so much. Bari shook her head. No, they're human. Maybe, Kai conceded. I still want to know what they did that day. You told the village elders, and everyone heard what happened through them. But I don't think I ever actually heard you talk about it. Most people recoiled when Vare looked at them the way she looked at Kai now. But Kai simply gazed back at her. When Vare said nothing, Kai tried a different tactic. Okay, okay. Maybe that's a sore point for you. But why didn't we do anything to Pana for an entire year? They stayed in the village. Like, nothing had happened. Even after you had told us all about the hunting trip. And then suddenly, they were leaving. And we were chasing after them. It doesn't make any sense. Again, Vari didn't say anything. She stared into the fire and clenched and unclenched her hands. Kai seemed to catch on to Vare's unwillingness to talk. I'm sorry, she said. Obviously, you've been through a lot more than I can imagine. I didn't mean to pry. Rest assured, we'll catch Pana and bring them back to the village to face everyone. Vare imagined Pana's face in the embers. She, pl she placed the stick there and watched as the fire began to catch on its end. Slowly, the flames felt their way along the stick causing it to crumble into a fine ash. Yeah. Yeah, we will. If the stone truly had any powers, if the defeat of the Guardian of Riotho wasn't simply a fluke, there was no way of proving it now. After hours of careful study, of moving the stone through the air and positioning it on the ground, of imagining the flow of energy from their body to the stone, or from the stone to their body, of wishing for anything to happen, nothing did. The stone lay on the ground, pulsating with the same dull blue light. Why won't it do anything? growled Panna, throwing their arms towards the sky. They turned toward Waveskimmer. It did save us in Riotho, right? I'm not imagining things, am I? Waveskimmer took a hesitant step backwards. A slight rustling in the trees drew his attention, and he began to sniff the air, moving his head closer to the source of the sound. However, when he noticed Pana glaring at him, he sat down on his back legs and began scratching in the dirt. Not a moment had passed before Pana stepped forward and hugged their friend, regretting their outburst. Sorry, I know it's not your fault. I just really want to figure this out. But that doesn't make it okay to take out my frustration on you, especially not after you helped me and all of Riotho. You were brilliant back there. With a gentle nuzzle, Waveskimmer indicated that it was okay. Immediately, he and Pana felt better. Pana placed the stone on the rock next to them. They had their whole life to figure out its secrets. Losing their friend wasn't worth anything the stone had to offer. Following a river, the two of them had gone east after leaving Riotho. Pana let Waveskimmer lead in an attempt to show how much they valued and trusted his judgment. They needn't have worried, however, as Waveskimmer had already forgiven them for Riotho. Both he and Pana had a lot to learn about traveling together, and there was no need to obsess over something Pana had already apologized for 
and learned from. But he led anyway, making sure to pick stops with enough food and shelter for Panna to be comfortable. Now they found themselves at a waterfall flowing over a sheer rock face. A green fuzzy plant covered the boulders that lay strewn about the landscape. Between the rocks, small leafy plants rose upward, doing their best to reach what little light made it through the towering trees and over the cliff. Putting the stone out of their mind, Panna stepped towards the pool of water beneath the falls. Waveskimmer occasionally paddled through the water, swishing his tail back and forth just below the surface. A few doflas swirled around him, using their many limbs to rocket multiple feet a second. Up north, the water was too cold to do much more than freeze in, if you could even find a way to access it beneath the ice. On their journey, Panna had noticed pools such as this one, as well as rivers, that tore through the land or gently washed over it, and decided that they should learn how to enter the water without drowning. It wouldn't do to leave the village only to die in the water. Aside from the Doflas, which weren't at all easy to mimic considering how quickly they moved, Panda had noticed a few other creatures swim. One particularly furry fellow with long tufts of hair poking out of where its eyebrows would have been, and claws longer than wave skimmers, had clambered over the rocks a half hour before, and then decided to lounge alongside the pool. Possibly in an effort to cool off, or just to have fun, the creature lumbered into the water and began to move through it at a leisurely pace. Hana focused on how it was moving its paws, pushing them down and behind it as it swam. Raising their own hand, Panna tried to imitate the creature's movements in the air. They made a quick sketch of the creature in their notebook, making sure to include details on how it swam. Come with me? Panna asked when they felt it was time to try swimming for the first time. They put the notebook down, stood up, and reached out to Wave Skimmer. He yawned, rose to his feet, and moved closer to the edge of the pool. He lay himself on a particularly flat rock while keeping one eye on Panna. At the water's edge, Panna took off the light clothes that Tur had given them, after seeing the rough cloth that Panna had cut for themselves, and tiptoed into the water. The cold may have bothered others, but to Panna, the water felt warm and relaxing. The temperature here was much warmer than the average day in the village had been. They would have dived right in if not for all the small rocks below the surface that poked at their feet. When the water reached their waist, Panna stopped. Rather than continue on into a deeper section of the pool, they crouched in the water, lowering the rest of their body until everything up to their shoulders was submerged. Look, they called to Wave Skimmer. I'm swimming. Wave Skimmer gargled happily, his scales almost flashing a light yellow. I mean, maybe I'm not actually swimming, but almost. Let's just... Prana counted to three, and then raised their feet off of the bottom. Immediately, their face fell into the water. Forgetting that they could not breathe underwater, Pana opened their mouth and inhaled a mouthful of water. They kicked out at the floor, but couldn't find it. As they tried to figure out what they could do, they realized they had no idea what possibilities existed. Arms flailing, legs kicking, Pana tried their best to survive. A clawed paw wrapped around their stomach and pulled Panna onto a rock above the surface. 
Thanks, Pana spluttered after they had coughed up most of the water. Wave Skimmer gently brushed a claw around their face, moving the hair out of Pana's eyes. His scales were a mixture of red and purple, and his mouth was furled downwards in what was almost a frown. That's enough swimming for me today, I promise. I'll be careful next time. At some point, Pana thought, they would have to learn how to swim properly. If ever there came a time to enter the water, and that time seemed to be becoming more probable the further south they headed, Pana should be prepared to save themselves, and not have to rely solely on Waveskimmer. Trusting a friend to save you, and needing a friend in order to survive, were two very different things. Pana didn't want to force their friend into the position of savior. They found their clothes at the edge of the water and put them back on before roaming around along the shore. The book that Pana had taken from the cave where they had met Salston was filled with sketches of the plants and animals they had encountered. Pana took it out now and sat on a rock, jutting out from beneath the surface, gazing out at the water for any sign of movement. A circular, leaf-like thing floated by. Reaching out a hand, Pana tapped the center of the leaf and felt it wrap itself around their finger. It tugged them forward, pulling them towards the water. If it had been stronger, maybe it would have succeeded, but Pana managed to wrench their finger out from the leaf and leaped to shore. The circular leaf seemed to watch them before it floated away. It neared a rock and, instead of riding the current around it, walked out of the water to sit on top of it. The leaf was attached to a long, vine-like neck, which was attached to a round body. Roots like claws gripped the ground and propelled the creature forward. The sun shone upon its back, and it curled up in sleep like a small dog. Pana made their way back to their own rock, reopened the book, and did their best to draw an accurate representation of the creature. Hmm, what should we name it? Pana asked Wave Skimmer. He simply nodded to Pana, who laughed. You get to name some of these too. It can't be solely my responsibility. Wave Skimmer tilted his head in thought and then nodded at Pana. His tail wagged in excitement and lopped off a branch from a nearby tree. He glanced at the fallen branch and grinned in mild embarrassment. Nodding, Pana said, I think I see. If you insist, Panalop, it is. What that actually says about this creature, I don't really know. But they wrote the word across the top of the page anyway, and smiled when they saw Wave Skimmer wag his tail again and accidentally flatten a shrub. There really wasn't much room in this forest for something as large as a dragon. Here, let's find somewhere with a little bit more space. When all their bags were packed and attached to Wave Skimmer's saddle, the two of them began their walk around the water. Occasionally, they stopped to admire a particularly shiny rock, or a small creature wiggling in the sand beneath the water. They reached the foot of the waterfall and decided to pause. Tons of water fell, like daggers, shattering onto the rocks below. Anna thought they gasped in wonder, but they couldn't hear themselves over the rushing water. Carved stone rose on either side of the falls, Chiseled into the walls were figures of people in various poses. They wore clothes in a style that Pana did not recognize. Each figure had short, even hair. None of them smiled. Instead, the lines of their mouths were carved to be flat lines. 
They all held one of their hands in the air near their foreheads, as if they were shading their eyes, while the other rested upon some sort of contraption, a tool, or a weapon perhaps, made of two lengths, one much shorter than the other, that came together perpendicularly. The longer piece also had some sort of cylindrical piece attached to it, that pointed outwards in the same direction. Symbols or runes, showing a crossed vertical and horizontal line, have been scratched in underneath the figures. Pana placed their hand on the surface of the figure, tracing its lines. How old was it? There were no nearby settlements with people who may have remembered when and why these pieces were created. Off to the side, Waveskimmer suddenly raised his head and snarled at the waterfall. Pana turned and watched as a living figure made of flesh and bone jumped out from behind the falls. Pana leaped back in fright. They fell into the water and accidentally breathed in a large mouthful of it. As they stood up, choking on the water, they saw a second figure emerge from the waterfall. If Pana had been able to look at the two of them for a moment without spluttering, maybe they would have been able to see who these two people were. Perhaps they did live nearby and would be able to explain the carvings to Pana. But just as Pana began to feel that their airway was clear enough to finally get some sort of bearing on what was happening, they felt their legs being swept out from beneath them. Waveskimmer had stumbled backwards and his flailing tail had found Pana's legs. Once again, they fell into the water. A hand pulled them out. A voice said, Got you. A chill ran over Pana. They felt their hands being tied together behind them. The rope cut into their skin. Pana whimpered in pain, but the owner of the voice laughed. Pana fell on the floor, unsure of what else they could do. Who had pulled them out of the water just to tie them up? Their captor walked out from behind them. Though she wasn't wearing the usual fur coat that most villagers wore, Pana still recognized her short, spiky, pale hair. Kai, they said, failing to keep the surprise and fear out of their voice. How did... How, how do you... Kai kicked Pana's leg, stopping them from talking. You never were good at speaking. Whatever. Someone's here to see you. She probably wants you all to herself. But hopefully, she'll let me have some fun too. Maybe give you a black eye, cut off a toe, or burn you. Papa was burned. He never would have expected you to be the one to kill him though. I didn't, wasn't, but Kai kicked them again. Pana had no idea how Kai had found them here. Of course the village had followed them to Naka's house. Pana felt their belly fill with guilt as they thought about all the family had done for them and about how they had left when the villagers had shown up on Naka's doorstep. They hoped that Sab and Ezra were okay. They had almost forgotten that there was a second person who had tracked them there until they saw the white fur coat emerge from behind a tree. If the figure had been anyone else, maybe Pana would have wondered if they were too hot wearing the heavy fur coat. Instead, they felt their heart begin to race, and their breakfast make its way back out the way it came from. Bare watched on in disgust. Nervous to see me? she asked. Makes sense. Pana tried to slow their breathing. They watched Vare twirl her black hair between her fingers. She stared down at them and frowned. 
Her violet eyes furrowed. Maybe she had carried an icicle with her when she had started hunting Pana, but now she wore what looked like a knife tucked into a pouch at her belt. How she had come by it, Pana didn't know. Maybe it was one of Naka's. Vare noticed Pana looking at it and ran a finger along its handle. Without saying anything, she drew the knife. Now, instead of twirling her hair, Vare's fingers spun the knife in circles. All the while, she continued to stare down at Pana. Her mouth twitched. And then, a ball of fire flew straight into the waterfall, causing steam to expand out over the landscape. Wave skimmer, scales as red as his fire, crashed onto the rocks, which crumbled beneath his claws. He sent another blast of fire towards the water, causing even more steam to billow outwards from the surface. Just a moment before Vare and Kai had been standing in front of Pana, but now if they were still there, Pana couldn't see them. Even Wave Skimmer was obscured by the steam. With their hands still tied behind them, they clambered to their feet, struggling to maintain their balance. Wave Skimmer, they called out, hoping their friend would hear them. Instead, they heard another voice yell out, They're over there, and the sound of feet jumping from rock to rock. Pana turned and ran. It became apparent that that had been an awful decision when Pana tripped and fell onto their side. Their shoulders slammed into the ground, but Pana felt no pain. When they tried to get up, they felt oddly unbalanced. They would have remained on the ground if not for the talons that wrapped around their body and pulled them into the air. Wave Skimmer roared as he beat his wings at the ground. A rock whistled by, striking the side of his leg, missing Pana's head by inches. The dragon simply shrugged it off and continued even higher. The ground was still obscured by steam, but Pana thought that they saw the silhouette of a person standing at the top of the waterfall, looking out at them. Are you okay? Kai asked, holding out her hands to help Vare, who had tripped over an unseen rock. Though the mist was starting to dissipate, it was a slow process. In her haste to continue on, Vare had fallen forward and landed on her hand. She was used to falling in the soft snow and hadn't anticipated how her wrist would break when she threw it out in front of her. Holding her broken hand close to her chest, Vare knocked Kai's hands back with her good limb. Where did they go? Did you see them? I lost sight of them after I fell. They might still be in the area. We can track them. I want to find them too, but let's make sure you're okay first. Hold still. No. We need to find them. I was so close. Vare dropped her hand to her knife and yelled out in pain when she tried to grab the hilt. Kai ran forward, grabbing Vare's arm while she was distracted. Her eyes watering in pain, Vare sat and allowed her hand to be bandaged. It hadn't taken long for Kai to bandage Vare's hand, but it had taken an ample amount of convincing, as well as a lightning storm, to get her to stop the pursuit, at least for the moment. Luckily for them, the cliff wall that the waterfall cascaded over also hosted a number of caves. They found a particularly spacious one underneath a carved face wearing a short hat. The inside was covered in runes and more carvings of people. Odder still, strewn throughout the cave were statues of people. What do you think these are? asked Kai. They look like the ice carvings we make back home, only these are rocks. 
she ran a hand over an outstretched arm of one of the statues. Just as the carvings outside held strange contraptions in their hands, so did this one. It appeared to have a handle attached to a piece that pointed outwards away from the figure. A star was carved onto its breast alongside three dashes. Could these be some sort of warriors? Vare scoffed. How can anyone fight with that? It's not even sharp. When she looked at the grimacing face of the statue, she wondered if the subject of the statue didn't need the device to be sharp in order to use it as a weapon. She leaned back against the side of the cave. Her hand was throbbing. Thankfully, it was her right hand that had broken. If it had been her left, she would have felt helpless. That was her knife hand. Not that she had gone her whole life knowing that. She had only learned what a knife was recently. But it had been exhilarating learning how to wield it. It felt much more elegant than the icicles she was trained to use. It was also more versatile, able to poke and slice in battle, and cut ropes, plants, and anything else Fari needed to cut. With her left hand, she could still use the tool without being hindered. Some tasks would be more difficult now with only one functional hand, but she would just have to deal with that for now. She couldn't afford to let Pana go too far. If only she had managed to grab hold of that dragon before it took off, then Pana and the dragon would be dead, and Vare could go home, assuming she didn't die as well when the dragon plummeted from the sky. If only there were a way to trick Pana into coming to her. That, Vare was sure, was an impossibility. Nothing would make Pana willingly come back. They would be too scared to face Vare after releasing all of those dragons onto the hunting party even if it had been an accident, which Vari wasn't sure it had been. She had tried to make her old friend tell her the truth for a year, but Pana would never talk about what happened. They would go silent whenever the topic came up, surely feeling the guilt of their actions. And then she had found the dragon. Vare was about to close her eyes when she noticed a stone glowing on the floor nearby. She leaned over and picked it up, what a strange world she had walked into. With a shove, Pana popped their left arm back into its socket. They groaned in pain, too tired to yell. Their entire side ached. Pana tried to move their fingers, but they wouldn't even twitch. They hung, limp and lifeless, refusing to show any signs of functionality. Pana's arm was swollen and red. Falling on the rocks had broken their arm. Thankfully, it seemed that the rest of their body, though sore, was still intact. The flight away from the falls seemed to span hours. Every beat of wave skimmer's wings caused Pana to jerk forward, a fresh wave of pain shooting through their arm. Eventually, they did land after wave skimmer had found a rocky ledge halfway up a cliff, big enough to fit five dragons. It was, Pana thought, a safe place to rest inaccessible to anyone without wings. Bandaging their arm had been difficult, but somehow Pana managed it, using their teeth and body to grip and tie the bandage. Now it was time to rest. Waveskimmer gathered wood from the sides of the mountains and set a fire while Pana prepared some of the plants that they had packed from Riotho. Together they sat and ate in silence. Now, almost directly overhead, 
the sun tossed its rays outwards over the cliff and the valley that lay before it. The air buzzed with life, winged creatures, most small and one shaped like a wolf, that Panna thought they must have imagined, floated above the forest. A small reptile climbed onto a nearby tree and extracted the nectar from one of its flowers. When the flower was depleted, the creature leaped through the air and landed on another flower, almost twenty feet away. With her one good hand, Panna pulled out their notebook and tried to sketch the creature before it roamed too far from the ledge. What do we call this one? they asked Waveskimmer, gesturing towards the reptile as it jumped again and bounced off of a rock onto a new branch. Waveskimmer licked his lips and swished his tail. Panna nodded. Good point. It eats nectar. Nectar reptile? Maybe something similar to that. Nectar Liz. Nectarl. The creature's neck filled out around it, filling with air, which was then released in a huge roar that rang through the valley. Nectorian, because it roars, how does that sound? Panna asked. Their friend smiled, but his claws tapped a steady rhythm on the ground. Panna felt their excitement at naming a new creature Drain. What is it? Slowly, Waveskimmer raised the claw and pointed it out towards the falls, just visible before the horizon. His scales were blue, but not his normal shade of blue. This blue was tentative, muted. Panna knew he wanted to ask about Vare, and Panna knew that they didn't want to talk about their old friend. I can't, they said, but Waveskimmer nodded at their arm, now bandaged, and then looked behind them towards the top of the cliff. Now that they both knew Vare was after them, they would have to come up with a plan. As far as Panna was concerned, that plan could wait. Here, on the ledge, they were safe. No one would be able to reach them here. Tomorrow, they told their friend. Tomorrow we can talk about what to do next, about how to keep away from Vare. But today, let's rest. They turned their gaze to the little Nectorian, watching it as it bounced to a few more flowers before leaping up the side of the cliff and disappearing out of sight. Panna had fallen asleep while Wave Skimmer watched the fire. Once he was sure it would simmer down without any risk of burning the human, he too went to sleep. He had met Panna in an ice cave. Dragons had lived for generations under the water. Once, they had roamed the surface, claiming entire islands for their own. Each dragon had a place that they could call home, a place where they could hunt their food and raise their hatchlings. They flew through the sky with impunity, allowing the sun to reflect off of their scales like starlight. And then they had been forced to hide. As the power of the humans rose, that of the dragons had waned. One by one, they retreated into the water, out of sight of the humans. Boats could only explore so much of the world. Wings and the unique capacity dragons had to breathe in the most inhospitable of environments allowed them to reach depths that no one else could. Beneath the water, they had found caves carved into layers of carbonate sediment and silicious ooze, extending deep into the bedrock. Now, the dragons flew through the water. The eggs hatched in magma chambers, and the new hatchlings explored the vents that brought heat and gases up to the surface. For millennia, they hid there, 
waiting for their time to come once more. Waveskimmer had hatched closer to the surface than most dragons. His nest was far from any magma chambers. There were no rocks, only ice. More importantly, there were no humans. Some of the older dragons had told stories of humans, warnings of their sharp sticks, of their flaming explosions that could be launched into the sky at a moment's notice, or passed on from elder to hatchling. But even the tellers of these stories had never seen a human. Finally, they believed humans had passed on from reality to mythology. Once more, the dragons spread their wings and took to the sky. Not in huge numbers. One or two dragons would venture forth from the caves and scout the area. A belief that the humans were gone was not good enough on its own. They had to be sure. They didn't find the humans. The humans found them. All of the dragons were sleeping. All of them, that is, except for Waveskimmer. He had woken up and couldn't fall back asleep, and so had decided to go for a walk. Wandering aimlessly, he had ended up near the entrance to the cave. He had thought that maybe he would get some fresh air. The human had stood in the entrance, wrapped in what looked like fur. Dark fur flowed from its head, down its shoulders. It seemed to have no scales. Its face was soft and brown, as were its eyes. Its mouth hung open in what any creature could recognize as amazement as it watched the light bounce between ice crystals and frozen stalactites. And then it turned and spotted Waveskimmer. A million thoughts raced through his head. Run. Hide. Warn the others. Wait. Attack. In the end, he couldn't decide what to do. It was as though his limbs had turned to stone. He could not move. One paw was held out in front of him. Dragons could remain immobile for hours without even twitching. This ability was often used to trick prey into believing that they were a part of the landscape. Now, the human walked right up to him. It reached out a small hand and placed it on his shoulder. Waveskimmer leaped forward with a small roar and pinned the human to the ground with his paw. Now was the time to strike, to make sure that this human never found the rest of the dragons, to prevent it from telling any more humans where they all were. He would keep his family safe. And yet, when Waveskimmer looked down at its small brown eyes, he hesitated. These were not the eyes of a killer. They were scared and awed at the same time. When he looked into them, he saw that the human didn't want to hurt him, and Waveskimmer knew that he didn't want to hurt it either. It made a sound. Waveskimmer didn't recognize it, but it sounded curious. He cocked his head to one side. The sound was repeated. What a chattery creature it was. Did it expect a response? He didn't know what sound the human would want to hear. Waveskimmer wasn't a particularly verbose dragon. He mostly kept to himself and stared at interesting ice formations while the other dragons wrestled and tested their fire-breathing abilities. They were the loud ones, always roaring and growling and scratching the ground with sharp claws. Scratch, scratch. Yes, just like that, he thought. Then he turned, realizing the scratching noise was not in his head, but was reverberating throughout the tunnel. But before he could do anything, 
Five more humans ran inside, each holding a sharp icicle that was pointed at him. They yelled something at the other human, even as the scratching sounds grew louder. Waveskimmer glanced back into the cave, saw the shadows of dragons lurching towards the entrance, and threw himself to the ground above his human. He concentrated, turning his scales to the same shade of bluey white as the ice. The dragons leaped over him and attacked the other humans, who began to run from the cave. Waveskimmer didn't see what happened to them all. He kept his head low to the ground and listened as the sounds of fighting drifted away. When all was quiet, he lifted himself off of the human. It had fallen asleep, but woke up after only a few moments. Together, they exited the cave. Below them, a fire roared. Dragons flew in the air above screaming humans. Waveskimmer's humans stared in horror, but there was nothing he could do to save its friends. Instead, they had flown away from the cave. With a snort, Waveskimmer woke up. The ice cave was no longer before him. He remembered that he had flown himself and Pana onto a rocky ledge not far from the waterfall. He turned, trying to find a comfier position to rest in. And he saw a human standing in front of him. His human. Pana was holding their right hand to their face, slowly shaking their head. No, no, no. Where is it? Where was what? Waveskimmer was tired. It was still dark out, and he really could use some more rest. But he forced himself to lift his head. Pana turned towards him. Their eyes were matted with tears, and their body shook. The stone. It's gone. Some amount of power, of magic, was held in that stone. They just knew it. Even if they couldn't quite figure out how the stone worked, it radiated something. It had definitely saved Pana and Waveskimmer back in Riotho. But how? Regardless, they had to find it again, and Pana knew where it was. I put it down when I went to go swimming, they muttered as Waveskimmer flew them both back to the falls. I forgot to pack it. How could I forget? Salston would kill me if she knew. Waveskimmer purred reassuringly. It wasn't Pana's fault, no matter what they believed. People forgot things all the time. People would continue to forget things, be it trivial or of cosmic importance. But no matter what Waveskimmer tried to convey, Pana couldn't hear it. Salston had believed in the two of them, believed in them to be able to bring the world together once more, and yet the stone had slipped from Pana's mind like a fleeting shadow in the middle of the day. In their efforts to learn how to swim, they had forgotten the stone that could save the world. How easy it was to lose sight of all life on the earth. It didn't take long before the waterfall was directly below them. Waveskimmer began to descend, circling lower and lower, and then suddenly pulled up, scales turning purple. He snorted, blowing smoke out in front of him. There were people below. Pana wrapped their good arm around himself, shivering. Vare's down there. No response from Waveskimmer was needed. They would have to be cautious. Neither of them had really discussed what they would do when they landed. Both had hoped that maybe Vare and Kai had moved on, that they would be unwilling to lose the trail after encountering the fugitives for the first time. After all, 
wave skimmer could travel much faster than any human, and it would be difficult to track a creature that left no traces on the ground, no matter how skillful Vare and Kai were. But the question remained, did they have the stone? Did they even know that it was important? It was possible. Knowing Vare, Panna anticipated some sort of ambush. There was no sign of the stone out in the open, no glowing blue gem. For a moment, their hearts stopped as they wondered if maybe the stone could hide itself from them, was indeed hiding itself now. But the thought was pushed from their head. Now was not the time to panic. No one raced out to get them when they landed. No projectiles were launched their way. Everything was quiet, other than the sound of the waterfall and the wind sliding between trees. Where do you think it is? Pana asked Wave Skimmer. Their friend lowered his snout and began to sniff the ground. After a few moments, he pointed in the direction of a cave underneath a carved face with a short hat. Okay, let's try to find it, but be careful. They hugged Wave Skimmer tightly and then led the way into the cave. First, they noticed the water. What some people may have considered to be a trickle met them at the entrance. It disappeared deeper into the cave. Panna was relieved that there was no sign of water deep enough to swim in. Statues were strewn sporadically throughout the cave. There seemed to be no order to them, no path to follow. The cave widened, and statues popped up in every direction. Most of the faces were too worn to be distinguishable, but some bore what seemed to be grimaces. Not a single statue appeared to be smiling. The positions they were in also differed drastically. Panna imagined them all facing some sort of enemy as they pointed the contraptions each of them held towards the entrance of the cave. It was like they were guarding something. Suddenly, a line of statues holding their weapons at their side and their right arms out in the air appeared before them. Two other shapes appeared, carved into the rock wall behind them. A curve like an elongated smile and two alternating curves spliced together, the top curve opening to the right and the bottom opening to the left. A steady drip of water pattered on the ground below the shapes. Between the statues and the carvings was a rectangular prism that seemed to be rising from the ground. We think it's a tomb, said the voice from behind them. Hana jumped. A smiling Kai was leaning against the statue, watching as Vare walked forwards. Kai continued, it seemed fitting to bring you to a place like this. I know this isn't a tomb you created, but I guess one person can't possibly kill the entire world. Vari held up her left hand to silence Kai. Her right hand, it seemed, was bandaged. Unlike Pana, her arm appeared to be fine. What is this? she asked, pulling out the stone from the depths of her white fur coat. I don't know, Pana replied, somewhat honestly taking a step back. They almost slipped on the wet rock of the floor. I have no idea what it does. Then why'd you come back for it? This time, Panna didn't reply. They waited until Vare decided she didn't need an answer. She threw the stone to the ground. It clanged and lay at the feet of a statue, missing the upper half of its body. Vare made no effort to move forward. Behind her, Kai took a hesitant step forward, before stopping, looking at Vare to see when she would make the first move. If either of them attacked, there wasn't much that could be done. Pana's entire left side still prickled in pain, and even if they had a weapon, they wouldn't know how to use it. 
Wave Skimmer could be dangerous, but they both knew he wasn't really. If it came down to it, he would try to defend Pana, but for all of his claws and spikes and the ability to breathe fire, he was still only the third most deadly entity in this cave. He was big, but Vari was deadly. Pana had never met anyone who had trained as hard to become a fighter as her. But maybe there was an alternative to fighting. Behind their back, Pana pointed up at the ceiling. Waveskimmer raised his head to look, and then snorted once. Some of the other villagers want you to come back with us, proclaimed Kai, who seemed uncomfortable with the silence. But I'm sure the rest of them will be glad to hear of your death. You should have considered what might happen if you set dragons on your own neighbors, your friends. I know my father would be happy to know we finally got you after everything you did. Maybe he can rest in peace now. That is, once you're dealt with. Pana raised their unbandaged arm into the air. I'm sorry. I never meant for any of that to happen. Please, you need to believe me. Though their words were in response to Kai, they continued to look at Vare. Those violet eyes betrayed nothing, not even a hint of what she thought or what she might do. It was too dangerous to wait and see. They had to act. Pana hoped that they weren't misjudging the situation when they raised a single finger. With a sudden whooshing noise, Waveskimmer released a jet of flame at the ceiling. Rather than break apart, the rock seemed to melt, releasing liquid earth and steam into the cave. And then the rest of the ceiling was pushed down by a wave of water. Pana saw Vare and Kai almost at the entrance of the cave, but made no effort to run after them. There was no way that Pana would be able to escape the water. They turned and watched in amazement as the water flowed around them and a few feet above their head, but avoided actually coming into contact with them. Wave Skimmer, too, remained completely dry. A blue light emanated from the water between them and the entrance. Pana walked forward, the air bubble around them moving as well. When they reached the light, the water was pushed back over it to reveal the stone. Pana picked it up and made a point of slowly and deliberately placing it into one of the pouches hanging from Waveskimmer's saddle, even as displaced statues and melted rocks crashed through the current around them. Then, they carefully climbed onto Waveskimmer's back, and together, they flew out from the cave. Thankfully, Vare and Kai appeared to be alright. It seemed that both had avoided the stream of water that had been directed their way. Pana hadn't wanted to hurt either of them, but had seen no way out of the cave other than the one they had taken. If Vare had been hurt, well, she certainly would have expected no less of them. No matter how many times Pana had tried to explain what happened before leaving the village, Vari seemed insistent on believing that they had purposely set the dragons loose on the rest of the party. Being spotted a year later with Waveskimmer certainly hadn't helped. Now, there was even more reason to think them a killer. They could feel Vari's eyes staring at them as they flew over what once was a waterfall, and what was now a stream that disappeared suddenly into the earth.